The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. I'm Chip Patterson, and it feels so doggone good to be back on the horn with you, Barton, and starting to look ahead to uh, the college football season. We've Listen, I... There are real college football lines that are being released right now, Barton, out at the Golden Nugget. The the game of the year lines are out. We're going to have win totals coming up here in the next little bit. It's June. July is the beginning of our preseason countdown. I I mean, listen, college football is like basically here. When when the preview magazines start coming out, that's a good that's a good day. And they're they're out. I'm still waiting on my my coveted Phil Steele. <laughs> That's going to be really when the the green flag goes down. Isn't green flag green flag the one that's the starting flag? What's the starting flag? Checkered flag? No, uh, yeah, because green would be out of a car. Uh, the che- <laughs> right. che- checkered flag is to finish the race. The green is to come out of a caution to tell you to go. So what starts the race? Isn't there a flag that starts the race? Uh, maybe it might what? be green. Our, our our NASCAR our NASCAR listeners are going to be really disappointed in that ex- exchange. But either way, we're really close, and and uh, and that's like I'm pretty I'm pretty stoked about <clears throat> getting those getting into the the win totals, starting to actually preview stuff, starting to actually make some some predictions. Like I haven't even really dove in yet in terms of like. You know, when I get asked sort of off the cuff, like who, how's this team going to look, or what's, how's this team going to finish, or who's your playoff four, or whatever, I don't even really have an answer because I don't have the, I'm not, I've not done the the due diligence yet. So right now it's all gut, and I, you know, so we'll we're getting closer to having some actual actual information and knowledge behind whatever the predictions are. I uh, since we've talked last. I backed myself into a little bit of a corner that I'm looking forward to. Uh, to oh, we're already of. backing ourselves into corners. Oh, dude, Which this was one? this was big. So, uh, I every year 
I, I, and I might have to stop it because it, it, I'm starting to recognize that all the other outlets are doing. I went back for the last five or six years when we've been 100 days out from the start of college football, I've essentially assembled 100 things that I'm excited about for the upcoming season. It's normally a combination of you know the games I'm looking forward to, the players, national title contenders, the stories. It, it is a great way for me, even for my own brain, to kind of plug into what's going to be going on. And I said in the piece that Auburn was going to win 10 games in 2019. Then uh, Paul Feinbaum had me on his program, and I was like, yeah, Auburn's definitely going <laughs> to win 10. And he goes, wait, 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 Chip, I, I really want you to repeat what you just said. <laughs> and boy, uh, the it, because I, I don't think... I don't think that like Feinbaum's diehard listeners are necessarily, I don't know what the Venn diagram is with like my listeners. And so there's a lot of like, who is Chip Patterson and (laughs) what is he thinking? (laughs) Uh, A lot of other like, and the best thing was I did this right before going to the beach with my family. So it was kind of like a walk off because as soon as I said it on the air, there were like five or six uh, radio requests that came in and you're like, sorry, just gonna have to let that one marinate. I'm right, going to the beach. Right. Oh, that's amazing because that's that's not like going on, you know, local Raleigh radio and being like, "Yeah, Auburn's gonna win ten games." That's not even like going on. You could be going on like you know, serious national college football radio and saying Auburn's gonna win ten games, and it's it's still just gonna be kind of a blip on the radar. But if you go down to five bomb. <laughs> <laughs> and say Auburn's going to win 10 games, you, the, a rain of, of hell is going to pour down on you from Tuscaloosa. It's, that, that's pretty, that, that's, that's good stuff there. I Listen, I'm excited. I'm excited to see how this one goes. It is a big bet, but it's, it's, it's one we've kind of worked ourselves up to over yeah, the spring, spring podcast. Those conversations the, have gotten me there. We're in this where we've already begun like convincing each other of things to where you know we 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 organically grow together in these ideas and and then you can't like fade away from them and we're already in this uh, you know it becomes the 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 season has begun where we have so long to talk about college football season before college football season actually begins that when you start saying something you have like four months to double and triple and quadruple down on it. So now you're out there saying like Auburn wins 10 and it like maybe you, as the summer progresses, you learn more about Auburn's depth chart. You feel, you know, you talk to somebody, you talk to some insiders, you whatever, like you change your mind, but it's out there. So you can't really change your mind now. You just have to like find ways to, to develop your confidence in it. So uh yeah you're 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 on the record on fine bomb with that one so you know you 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 better get you better get feeling good about it by by august auburn has florida cycle in on the cross division schedule this year they go to lsu and to texas a&m and i'm out here yeah absolutely let's go I was like, I was like, Paul, you know, it's an odd numbered year. You know, Gus is in the corner. He'll figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I respect your, uh, I respect that happening. And now that's a good warning for me. Whatever I say, I better be ready to defend it because it's that time of year. It is absolutely that time of year. Uh, since we last talked to you, there had the, one of the biggest stories in college football has been the journey of five-star wide receiver Brew McCoy. And Brew McCoy 
initially uh, commits? Does he sign with USC also or just commit to USC? No, he... Uh, no, no, no. Yes. Okay. Here, do you committed you, you, to, committed you, you, you lay out the facts? Lay out the facts first. Er, he was he was an early enrollee, so they don't. He, so he didn't actually sign. So he committed to USC, enrolled at USC, but he but he committed to USC. Um, before Cliff Kingsbury left, he commits. Three days later, Cliff Kingsbury leaves. So does he stay committed? To, he, so he goes ahead and, en- and enrolls at USC. So he's enrolled at USC in class, like goes to class for like a week, then decides he's going to transfer to Texas, which was his runner-up, which is where he almost committed to anyways, and decides I'm just going to you know, hope my waiver goes through and I can get become immediately eligible. I don't even think the waiver had ever actually gone through. He was still awaiting his appeal, and then – he has a change of heart again after going through spring practice at Texas. So he goes to spring practice at Texas, and now he's back at USC and basically is is sort of willing to accept that he probably is going to miss the 2019 season uh, due to transfer restrictions. So whatever's going on in that dude's head, whatever's going on in that dude's life, uh, clearly – you know he's getting tugged in a lot of directions, but um, that's quite a saga he's taken us through. So the first thing that comes to my mind when we've got these kind of sagas with highly rated prospects who have not yet played a game, and this is unfair. These are unfair judgments that I have just just viewing it. Is I say, well, I don't know if he's going to be worth it, right? Like there there are. Um, there is like an unfair, almost antiquated sort of <laughs> like part of my brain that's like, well, if, if he can't make up his mind, if he's doing all this flip flopping, like I, I, I don't like what that says. And that again, it is a not fair, um, starting point. And so I'll ask you from a- analyzing him, from rating him, from ranking him. Do you think that Brew McCoy is the kind of talent at wide receiver that is worth, you know, I mean, Tom Herman got on a plane to go to California to try to get him to change his mind back. It was clearly worth the the jet fuel for that. But do you think that, that his production when he finally does get on the field is going to be representative of all this, is going to be worth uh, all this apparent hassle between these two programs? So, yeah, Brew McCoy, former five-star, I is not your typical flighty, like, looking for attention uh, indecisive guy like this is a, all a surprise because he actually is a very like he doesn't have the kind of personality of a kid that you would expect to, to, to do this mm. he's he's like a very like business oriented driven mature kid from a on the field perspective and his the reviews from him in the spring in Texas were that he is everything they were hoping he would be like immediately a leader, hard worker, um, all that. And so I just think that there's some, whether they're family elements, I think there may have been even like a girlfriend involved somewhere in this. And like, there's just, I think there were, and, and obviously the Cliff Kingsbury stuff and all the, you know, the USC stuff. And he's a, he's a Southern California kid, hometown guy. So there's just, I, I, I don't know all the, all the elements that have been been sort of pulling his strings, 
But I do think he will be whether he's like a first round draft pick, I don't know. But he there I have very little worry that he will be a bust. He will be a good player uh, in in the Juju Smith Schuster sort of role from a physical, competitive receiver uh, that can I think be an impact. And uh, also on the transfer circuit, it was was it for Chris Steele? It was initially Florida, then to Oregon, and right now it's looking like it might be Oregon to USC. Is that yeah? Right? I don't know where USC's coming up with all these scholarships. So Chris Steele, top one hundred cornerback that from California that committed to Florida, goes to Florida, uh, has, competes in spring practice. Wants to transfer out. We talked about it a couple weeks ago because of his, you know, he couldn't change roommates, who was Jalen Jones, who ended up getting, you know, multiple sexual assaults or some 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 sort of sex aggravated sexual uh, assault type of a- allegations. Um, so fair fair point, uh, you know, wants to leave whatever. Okay, so he's so he leaves after spring practice, um, commits to Oregon, like. You know, all you know. Already, Oregon fans are to the point where, like, they're like, "All right, when do when do we adjust the team rankings? Because we're getting another you know kid that bumps our class up." Well, before he even gets on campus at Oregon, now it's looking like he is actually headed to USC. Not only that, but they had a receiver that was transferring out, Velas Jones, uh, who was oh, in the he, transfer he, portal. He it looks pulled like his he's name back out. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw so it's that. Like, I, I don't know how USC has all these scholarships, but they're they're making it work. I would love like that. That's the next step. Like I, I would love to see like public scholarship charts. It's not obviously mandated now, and you just sort of have to guess about like what's available for each program or or how they're going to make these these spots available. But um, however USC's doing it, you know that's hey they'll they'll take some positive momentum any way they can get it. And for once, USC's got some positive momentum right now. That's not you know who the only person that I would count on to uh to to actually have that count is probably Ryan Abraham. He probably has it on like a giant board in his office. Yeah. He, he could probably he could probably but here's the thing though is even like often even like the most dialed in media guys or sometimes even like guys in the building are like, well, I don't you know, there's like it's 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 so there's back counters and initial counters and uh, blue shirts and gray shirts and you know guys that are on you know not on scholarship and who are you know or, or guys that are on you know medical hardships or what like there's just all these different sort of loopholes and ways you can sort of spin it that it's 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 hard like it's not as simple as just sort of keeping a chart. Like you kind of got to have, you know, be in that room and, and figure out what they're discussing because I, it's, it's just so convoluted. So yeah, if anyone has it, it's Ryan Abraham and we'll, maybe I'll ask him, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's scratching his head too. Okay. So if everything is fluid and if trying to figure out, you know, how, uh, <clears throat> how, how your 85 add up for any particular given program and we've got all this, uh, you know, movement among the players, like what's like, where do we sit now? I don't want to recycle old transfer portal talking points. I think that on this podcast, 
the idea that there is freedom of movement among the players. And I'll, I'll say this out of my mouth, the, the idea that players have as about as much, not as much, but about as much, you know, freedom of, of movement as you could expect in the current climate. I, I think that that's a good thing. But as the, with the Chris Steele and the Brew McCoy examples, they have brought out even current college football players, uh, you know, mentioning on Twitter and on social media, like positives and negatives. The, the transfer portal itself is becoming uh, a fascinating piece, if for nothing else, but of the scholarship counter. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think like the new talking point is, okay, there's not enough. There, there's more guys in the transfer portal than there are scholarships available in FBS. Uh, and to that, I say, okay, they, you know, there's those guys go FCS D2 NAIA. I don't know. Go, go get in where you can fit in, go, go play somewhere. Like that's, that, that, that that's probably where they should be in the, anyways. Um, and that's not to me is not some like death sentence. Uh, so, but it is. I mean, it's once again. I mean, it just creates an environment to where like you, like a director of player personnel, is more than just filling out your recruiting board. Like you are managing an entire roster of available scholarships and outgoing and incoming. Uh, and so there's there's a lot of levers to be pulling. Um, and it takes some nuance and some, some, some skill. And I think we'll get to the point where the guys that manage rosters the best, uh, that that's sort of an addendum to recruiting the best. And especially at positions, important positions like quarterback, where you only have one and you're going to get transfers out. And so you better make sure you got a some income in depth transfers. You better make sure you're recruiting multiple multiple quarterbacks in one cycle and all those sort of things. So there's 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 just some I think new um, uh, new, new mentalities that you have to take to the roster building process. Not to go too inside baseball, but does that adjust how the the twenty four seven sports uh, hive mind? sort of changes its approach to trying to cover this all? I mean, other than it makes it 12 months a year. <laughs> like, there's no off-season now. Not that there ever was. And covering it in terms of... Um, like trying to, trying to track all the different levers, all the different places where there might be movement because now we've got the... Uh, the graduate transfers, we've got the the transfers, like because of the transfer portal, you've got uh, more names that are showing up. We've got the on 24-7 sports, the transfer portal tracker. Then in addition to that, the uh, always present, never leaving recruiting of high school prospects. It's like there's three levels to this before we're even sending these guys off to the NFL. No, but I need to, I may need to go, um, you know, request a meeting with uh with Shannon Terry or something right now and, and, and pitch what you just, uh, what you just presented, uh, as like some, like have our own scholarship counters, have our own, have our own, you know, I mean, that's, that is borderline impossible to, to really track. Um, but with, you know, for a few programs where we're dialed in well enough, we can, you know, we, we should be able to do that. Um, and so, uh, that's I think something that would be really interesting to follow. I think if we've and, got if we've got fans that are diehard enough to wait for team rankings to update, they would get into scholarship counts. 
Uh, say that again. Like if if fans and I've seen this, uh, especially with Texas, because was it Texas and Texas A and M right now are fighting over who got the highest ranked class? Yeah, yeah, right. And and McCoy, you know, being a a big big part of the plus or minus to that. If if fans are nitpicking over like waiting for transfers to arrive to increase class ranks, they would absolutely be dialed into the idea that my favorite team has three available scholarships and here are those players on the transfer portal that I would like to see. It's like the same speculation that the NBA gets with free agency. Well, yeah, and the 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 problem with the transfer portal and and you know the the 25 initial counter limitation in the NCAA is like if you don't manage your roster right, you're going to have empty scholarships. Like you're going to have, like you just, you're going to have five or six empty scholarships. And so, um, that's the, that's the challenge. And, and by the way, while we're just thinking about talking about roster management, like in addition to some of these other moves, I mean, Colson Yankoff jumped from Washington to UCLA, the backup quarterback. So chips Kelly's got a deeper quarterback room now and, and things like that. But, but also we are in the sort of the, the shadows or the, um, the aftermath of the Major League Baseball draft. And one of the, I thought, most important developments there was throughout a lot of the process, Jerry Ely, who's a five-star running back mm-hmm. that looked for a while like a potential first-round Major League Baseball draft pick, shunned Clemson, went to Ole Miss. Uh, he's from the state of Mississippi. Like, I... For a while, I thought that, that the plan was like he's going to play a season of football, and it's similar to Kyler Murray, collect a signing bonus, and then go, go play baseball. So, like, you're getting a five-star, but might only be getting it for a season. Well, he, he, he didn't get drafted in the first five rounds. He's going to Ole Miss. He's full speed ahead. That means Ole Miss has got at least two years of this kid on the football field, and he's a absolute – impact freshman um and same thing happened with lsu's getting a safety named maurice hampton out of memphis who was a potential first round pick he also is going lsu didn't get drafted in the first round so uh, two big sort of additions by just the nature they didn't go major league baseball draft uh in the sec of guys that uh, will absolutely have a chance to get on the field as freshmen was the anticipation for hampton that it might be baseball because i definitely remember the ely um, conversation. We might have even touched on it here, but I was not plugged into the Maurice Hampton story. I mean, Hampton had gotten a, he had gotten into the, like he had, there'd been some first round mocks for him. Mm-hmm. Um, there was always the anticipation he was going to play football and baseball at LSU. And so, you know, unless he had gone to like top 15 or something like that, I think that the plan was he was going to go to college, but you never know, and uh, I mean Jordan Adams last year for North Carolina was I don't think I don't know that we expected him to go as high as he went uh, and and have sort of no shot at playing college football, which is what he did. He skipped football. So um, there's always a couple football guys that have a chance, and and two big ones are 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 staying in the SEC. Uh, anything else on your radar before we bring in Dennis Dodd? Uh, oh, you know what? Just one more thing, just because I'm kind of clearing out the notebook, and, and I don't know when there'll be another chance to talk about this. But uh, CMA Fest is this week in Nashville. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> scooting up. All right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so, so <laughs> this, <laughs> this story might not go as, as, may not be as juicy as you're expecting. Anyways, 
kick to kick off CMA Fest, there's these like parties that people have here and there. And so I, I went to one of these things on Monday night and, um, you know, there was, uh, lots of sort of celebrities and music people there or whatever. And there's also some sports people types there. And, and, and just because I would have no other reason to talk about this other than right now. And I thought it was interesting. Um, I talked to one, one guy who was, uh, who's a pretty high up, uh, uh, personnel guy at, at, at a, at a, I'll say at, a, at an NFL team that, that you would respect their, you know, their evaluations and okay. how they think of guys. Okay. And it is not the, the New York giants. It, right. It is not the New York giants. Um, and, but it's relevant to the New York giants. So I was sort of talking to him about, all right, well, like, what did your, what did your draft board look like at a quarterback? And number one was Kyler Murray. And number two was Daniel Jones. And so that's Dave Gettleman sort of talk about like, Oh, we knew other people had him number two. And everyone was like, sure, Dave. Like, yeah, I, I bet you did or whatever. Like that, that isn't total BS because this guy had no reason to, to lead me astray here. And so he was, he, and I was like, okay, well, well help me out then. Like, why, why did you have Daniel Jones two? And by the way, they had Locke three and, and Haskins four. Ooh. Uh, and, and so he was like, well, the main the main reason was is like when we when we talked to him and, and look I think the toughness is there and like all the things people talk about in terms of like he was playing with a bunch of four seven wide receivers and and was doing you know doing well with them and so but he also said like when we talked to him um, behind this you know it, when his interview he was like he was the most impre- like one of the most impressive guys in terms of like his understanding not just of x's and o's and scheme but of like the deeper dive of like matchups and why you're going here and 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 what you're seeing and 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 sort of the the real granular deeper like uh kind of ingrained instincts of the quarterback position that you need to have he, he blew them away in that regard he said like the only guy that was and this is the other thing that was interesting he said the only guy, like the guy, he was almost to Deshaun Watson's uh, level in that regard. And I said, really? Because the whole knock on Deshaun Watson was he came from Clemson and only read half the field. And how's he going to develop, pick up an NFL offense and yeah, all, all that stuff. And he was like, no, well, like that's all true. But when you got him in front of a fit, like the, the film room, Deshaun Watson was unbelievable in terms of like, oh, like this, see this cornerback, we're going to attack him because he's yada, yada, yada. And like, oh, do you see this matchup here? And oh, like, like the, the, the things that he's thinking at the line of scrimmage when he's taking them through a game. Pre-snap. Is what, these, is, are all, these are all pre-snap decision type yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's, it's well beyond like, oh, too high, one high safety or whatever. Like it's, it is very, um, it's just, it's just a, a, a really ingrained deep knowledge of what you're supposed to be evaluating and so uh so anyways so i just thought that again that's not relevant necessarily this year's college football season but i just figured i'm i'm i thought that was interesting and i'm never gonna have a reason to to bring that up again uh unless daniel jones starts balling in the nfl this year what about uh the fact that he had lock above haskins yeah and he was talking about how it was really a sort of a mobility thing with haskins like they 
they they just are in the NFL right now. Like if you're just a stationary target, which is what Haskins is, there's that's that's not really ideal. Um, and and that's and so that speaks to Daniel Jones too, who's a guy that you know as we're sitting here on Wednesday, like there's like you know mini camp video of Daniel Jones pulling it on like a zone read that everyone's all <laughs> jacked about. Uh, so it, you know that's that is I think just. That that's going to be what to watch with Haskins is if he's sort of pushed off his his spot in the NFL, you know, how is he going to do it um, from a mobility standpoint? I'm just going to be pulling up those uh, those Duke bowl game highlights or that game against North Carolina where he had like uh, what 350 yards passing, 120 yards rushing, something stupid like that. <laughs> Right. Yeah. That good. That gazelle can get downfield. Don't There's you no worry. Yeah. He, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. On the other side, we'll be bringing in Dennis Dodd. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. And now it's our pleasure to welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast, Dennis Dodd, Senior College Football Columnist at CBS Sports. Dennis, you had, you know, the you drew the short straw to go to Destin, Florida, <laughs> and to go be on the, uh, you know, we've we've talked often on this podcast about the old hotel lobby beat. It You you do have a lot of downtime as you're waiting to, to pick off these coaches and these athletic directors, but in terms of college football, you know, we've we've got to think that the SEC spring meetings are going to be one of our last opportunities to speak to these athletic directors and to these head football coaches until media days in mid-July. Um, so I guess I guess as a, a starting point, Dennis, you know, the I, w- I want to get to alcohol in a little bit because that seemed yeah. to be the thing that reverberated the most with the fans. But even in the downtime among the writers and some of your on-record or off-record conversation with some of the coaches around there, what seems to be the issues that are um, really resonating on the minds of those power players down there? Well, I, all of them were asked about the transfer portal, but it's I, I, you know, I've written on it so much, there's really nothing new there. I think one of the things to emerge was, I think a couple of coaches said, you know, can, is there a way we can get these scholarships back? If we lose them, well, that's, you know, that's opening up a big old can of stuff that, uh, that hasn't even been discussed and knowing, knowing the, uh, the way of coaches, they'll use this as a way to run off players to get better players. So I don't think that's coming anytime soon. The portal is, is what it is. I, w- I was kind of fascinated with, uh, with the, the fact that LSU got its AD that it wanted a native son, Scott Woodward, who's supposed to bring in 
Jimbo Fisher, but boy, uh, Ed Orgeron sure not cooperating. He's won 10 last year and 19 in two years. So I don't know if that's happening anytime soon. Wait, so you think that that's a, a, a long play for, uh, for Jimbo Fisher? Is that what you're saying? I No, what I'm saying is when Scott Woodward was hired, a lot of people made the connection that because of his enduring friendship with Jimbo Fisher, which was struck up, gosh, 2004, three, uh, at LSU when he was there as a director of external relations, that he naturally would someday you know, entice uh, Jimbo to get to Baton Rouge, which Joe Oliva magnificently screwed up two years in a row. Um, and, and, and I, you know, I think Ed Orgeron has never been fully accepted there because he was a second or third choice. After all, they went through Tom Herman, Jimbo Fisher, very, very public and running less miles out. I'm not saying it's going to happen anytime soon, yeah. but, you know, as I stated in the piece, you know, Ed Orgeron and Jimbo Fisher are each a seven and five season away from that happening, given the fan bases and the impatience at both schools, if you know what I mean. Sure. Uh, and that, <laughs> that, that piece uh, at CBSSports.com. And if you want to talk about fan impatience uh, at Texas A&M, uh, just look and see Sumlin, comma, Kevin. And if you want to see fan impatience at LSU, yeah. see Miles, comma, less national championship winning head coach. Um, right. So so for what about Coach O? Like as as you're getting the, the chance to dig into you know, dig into what the scene is like at LSU because you mentioned it right. But I think that there is, with Scott Woodward, yes, connections to Jimbo Fisher, but to me, from his history, being a Baton Rouge native, an LSU graduate, mm -hmm. he, I mean, it sounds like he's one of these stories in um, front offices in college athletics where, you know, you basically come up through the ticket office, right? Like, this guy just seems to have, <laughs> had, he seems to have had every job in the LSU athletic department. And in that time, as you mentioned, he developed a relationship with then assistant coach Jimbo Fisher. I would think his loyalties first and foremost are to LSU. Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have any reason yeah. to doubt that. But where where do you see the current state of Ed Ogeron's program? Because coming off of a ten win season, there's there is a lot of enthusiasm. There were there were massive wins. There were there were uh, you know you go on the road and you beat Auburn. You're you're really competitive. You Georgia. take take down yeah, Georgia, Georgia at home. I mean that was probably the game of the year for that team. Yeah. Well, you know, how do you how do you forecast maybe not even this season or this fall, but just the health of uh, Coach O's program? I think it's pretty good. I, I think they're they're pretty good this year. He's won, as I mentioned, he's won nineteen the last couple of years since the Troy debacle in September of seventeen. He's sixteen and five. Uh, in fact, I thought that was one of the better coaching jobs I'd seen in seventeen because I. After the Troy loss, because I was there the Monday after the Troy loss, and I, I've been at more cheery funerals um, than it was in that football program that day. Uh, but he he got him he got him you know focused and went nine and four uh, and won ten last year. So I, I, I think the arrows were pointing up. I think I think he deserves a load of credit along with his coaches for developing Joe Burrow, who's now become you know LSU is so starved for a quarterback that they finally have one. And this this transfer from Ohio State, who's become a leader, has embraced everything about LSU, is a better runner, I think, than we thought, and is a big reason that uh, I think LSU could win 10 again this year. You know, uh, 
Barton, I don't know how you think about it, but I, I think they're pretty damn good. I think they're in damn good shape right now. Yeah, I, I thought it was really interesting when some of the lines opened up because everyone's talking about Texas as sort of one of this, all right, yeah. now we've now we've sort of built up our confidence in Texas and we are there's no more are they back talk and okay, Texas is maybe a national title college ball playoff contender this year with Sam Ellinger returning. And then when those lines opened up, it was like I think the opening line was like L, uh, LSU minus six or something. I think it's down to like LSU minus three against Texas. But um, yeah. that I mean that gives you a pretty good idea about kind of how Vegas sees them. Uh, you know they they're just they've got so many receivers and they've recruited so well and they got a quarterback that I think we can be more confident in in a while. And and I, I think you know you probably got to give credit to Ed Ogeron. Like you said, managing the assistants, he's got that guy in Dave Aranda who is sort of the the lifer coordinator to me. Like he's a two million dollar coordinator, but I don't he's not the type of guy to me that's going to be at the top of every head coaching list because he's just got a coordinator personality. And then Orgeron is he you know he 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 pulled the plug on Matt Canada and uh, Insminger seems to have worked. And so uh, yeah, I, I think. At, at this point, it feels like they know who they are, and and that that's a pretty good. They're 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 pretty stabilized uh, heading into the season. So, you know, as we all know, it it could it could turn quick in the SEC West, yeah. but it's uh, certainly they're they seem pretty pretty steady. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. They know who they are. You know, they're they're settled at AD, they're settled at coach, they're settled at quarterback. Uh, just talking to Orgeron and Destin. He, he was more relaxed. Uh, somebody asked him, Ron Higgins from Rivals asked him, did, did last year kind of turn it around for you? Not really defining what it was, you know, with the fans, with your own credibility. And he said, yeah, I, I do feel better about myself. Um, feels better about the program. You could tell it was more relaxed. For all the stories we tell about Ed Orgeron, the minute he became, you know, head coach at LSU, he had changed. He had become more stilted, become more, I guess, dry. And maybe that's something he learned from his previous escapades as an assistant coach and interim coach before. But he's kind of loosened up. And you've seen it in coaches over the years when they get that feeling like, all right, we got it going. You know, we're a little bit of job security. He got a got an extension through, I want to say, 22, I think, through the 22 season. So that's, you know, that's a good sign. But again, uh, things can turn, you know, in the SEC, things can turn quickly. Auburn, LSU, um, go down the whole list. You know, you're you're a seven, five season away from pressure. Anecdotally, a real quick question for both y'all. Do you think that football coaches who are capital F football guys Mm -hmm. have really bad poker faces when it comes to the state of their program? (laughs) Like you can take, you can figure out by looking how much they're squirming or how confident they are uh, as to what maybe maybe the rec- the really good recruiters have better poker faces. Like like maybe James Franklin's not going to let you know if he's really really worried about his offensive line. Yeah, but I feel like Coach Mac, o is one of those guys Mac where Brown you can tell. One, yeah, Mac Brown could be one and twelve and he'd be cheery. But no, you're you're right. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, uh sorry, Barton. Didn't mean to cut you off there. No, I mean I wanted to, I, I wanted to ask about the the A&M situation too so so Woodward leaves A&M A&M goes and hires Ross Bjork the AD from from Ole Miss Dennis I'm curious your reaction 
to that hire? What what's your big takeaway in terms of significance, impact of of AM, you know, grabbing old Mrs. Guy? Well, I think it's great for Ross Bjork, and I think it's great for for AM. Um Ross Bjork was say what you want about, you know, he was you know, in charge of uh, a program that suffered uh, institutional control in a two-year bowl ban. On a personal note, he, he gets out of that dumpster fire and ends up at, at A&M, where the resources are doubled than they are at Ole Miss, so, so great for him. I also think he's a really good athletic director, and he knows how to unite people. So for, for a guy who – you guys remember that hostage video they made when the sanctions for the yeah. investigation came out? Yeah. <laughs> it was Vitter, the president, Hugh Freeze, and – Ross Bjork, it looked like they were in North Korea being, you know, told, here, read this or we'll shoot you. Uh, you know, he, he's come a long way, and, and he is a very good athletic director, got rid of Andy Kennedy for better or worse, got Kermit Davis, who I think was the SEC coach of the year in basketball, and, and a, built a brand-new basketball arena. Um, and, you know, F- Ole Miss football is what it is. It hasn't fallen off the end of the earth, and it is in capable hands for now with Matt Luke. Uh, it's still very, very young as an AD. I, I think it's a win-win for both sides. So one thing of that, I mean, this is a very A&M move to me too because, yeah. I mean, they're, they're you know, it's, a, it's an old money. We're going to go do what we can do to win because he, the guy is, I mean, on the surface, he's, he's leaving a program in, in which the football, the football program is uh, – on probation or, or you yeah. know dealing with sanctions and he basically stood behind his head coach throughout those sanctions or throughout that investigation until the you know the off the field stuff came up that he couldn't yeah. defend so it's almost like A&M saying like look man like you you got it you got old miss rolling and we don't even care what the aftermath was you got him rolling we need right. we need all our horses we can get to align this thing to get us rolling as well. So here's your money. Come on and let's let's roll. And uh, that's the I mentality. Just, yeah, I mean, yeah, A&M is mentality. going so hard yeah. right now. This is if if money if money was coal, uh, the train would be going 500 miles an hour. You know, just throw money at it. This this goes back to God. What year did I do that? I did this big piece on the on the stadium. Um, and the, somebody wrote a great headline. It was, you know, Johnny Manziel and Big Oil, because that's how they got the money, the half yeah. a billion dollars to renovate Kyle Field. And, and, and think about the mentality here. Not only renovated it, but took down the west side of the stadium to the ground and built it up in one offseason, uh, making sure that they had not only more seats than Texas, but had the biggest stadium in the state of Texas. You know, just just because they could, and the, uh, John Sharpies, the chancellor or president, I can't remember what, widely quoted as saying, "When people walk into this stadium, we want them to piss in their pants." <laughs> I used it in the story. That's the mentality of A and M. And the other side of that is when I did that story, I walked out of Kevin Sumlin's office, and the last thing he said to me is, "Now we just have to win." You know, like this ominous like. You know, if we don't if we don't do this, then you know everybody's in trouble. Of course, he was in trouble, but um, no, they're they're just going to throw money at it until they they do it. One national championship, nineteen thirty nine, 
Last Big 12 championship was in 1998, and they see everyone around them prospering. Now Texas is rising, and that galls them to no end. So this is just part of the mentality. They will keep shoveling coal into the, into the engine till it uh, gets up the mountain. And, and it'll be interesting to see what, how that takes shape. Oh, as an uninvested bystander, I'm entertained by it. I am ready to see where this goes as Texas oh, yeah, continues to throw money at things. Uh, hey, one of the big topics, at least from the, the fan perspective, mentioned it briefly earlier, was the SEC lifting a longstanding ban on alcohol. Um, that Did it feel as big in Destin... As, as big of a deal in Destin as it did in terms of the conversation within college football? Because I understand this happens on two reasons. Number one, you're, you're a fan who is going to these games. These are massive stadiums. They have many fans, and they're interested in whether or not they're going to be able to purchase uh, alcohol throughout the stadium, not just in premium seating. But then number two, uh, it was you know late May. There was nothing to talk about. College football and tailgating's on people's minds, and the idea of alcohol made it just like a fun talk show conversation uh, throughout the college sports community. What were the, the main buzz points or the, the points of tension that you could tell from being there in Destin? It, it's a big deal because it's the SEC. It, it, you know, what, whatever the issue was, the SEC being the last holdout in anything is a story. This just happened to be alcohol. And in the Deep South, in the Bible Belt, with all the moral, religious, and philosophical implications they had to get through to do this, this was big news. Um, you know, there, there were, what happened was, you know, they just removed the ban that SEC schools couldn't serve alcohol in general public seating. Uh, that's been in place since at least 1978, so you can see how big a deal it is. Not all schools will do that. I think Auburn and Alabama have already said, no, we're, we're going to keep things as is. Whereas schools like A&M and LSU are, yeah, let's go, baby. You know, that, you know, all those seats, all those people, you know, and, and even an aside here, I, I, you know, I hope the earth is, doesn't become a smoking crater in space after LSU starts serving alcohol in the stands. That's like putting out fire with gasoline. But that's another that's another story for another time. But no, I, I, I thought it was a it was a big deal on that level. And then the fact that uh, Greg Sankey, the commissioner, interjected a personal note uh, on his own uh, in explaining this, that I've had family issues, basically, that would lead me to believe this is not a great decision. On a personal note, and we're all looking at each other going, what are you talking about? Well, it was off the record, but he explained some things afterwards uh, regarding family issues, and, and a lot of people have had, had this in their life and their families, and I, I admire him for bringing it up. And at least off the record talking about it. So it, it's not all, you know, ha 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 fun. You know, let's make jokes about sneaking booze into the stadium there. There's, you know, there is an alcoholism in America component to this, which should be very sensitive to people. So no, on, on a lot of levels, I thought it was big news that it happened in late in early June, late May made it perfect to be big news in the off season. But, and, and I mean, People are sneaking booze in regardless. Sure, sure. Colleges, college students are going to, I mean, I don't know. Like NFL games doesn't seem to be a major problem, and the college students still have to show their ID. So, um, if, if, if I mean, I, while I understand alcohol abuse is can be a serious issue at times, like this strikes me as just sort of, it's, it's kind of past due. It's like, 
We'll, we'll, and, and yeah. it's one of those deals that, like, in five years, we'll be talking about this and be like, I can't believe that they didn't sell, you know, beer at stadiums at right. one point. In, <laughs> so. in, it's long been proven, actually, what you just said. In 2011, West Virginia kind of became the first school to change and do it. I think they had served it at Colorado for years. Um, it, it just wasn't an issue there, but. West and it's Virginia. not like West Virginia going full speed in the party. Uh, <laughs> no, and that's the point. They had a uh, – people were, as it was described to me by Oliver Luck, the old AD, now commissioner of the XFL, they would party so much. And it wasn't just beer. It was bourbon. Uh, the, the security people at um, Milan Puskar Stadium had – when they get on the radios, they go, we have another Code V in uh, Section 37. What's Code V? Code Vomit. <laughs> they'd have to go clean up vomit so they got and then they had pass outs where fans mountaineer fans could go out to their cars at halftime and continue drinking so they decided you know to stop the pass outs to control what you could buy that's a big thing here you're only allowed two drinks per, per visit gotta show your id and and it worked it things got better um and obviously there's a revenue component to it as well you know you're making money uh, but again, if and, and I've seen it, you know, they did a pilot program at the College World Series that that noted free for all that uh, hedonistic Woodstock of uh, partying at the College World Series, by the <laughs> way. I don't know why they did it there. And it worked. So, you know, now it just becomes a, a question of, you know, how you can manage it. And I think it'll be fine in the SEC. You also got a chance uh, recently, new story up on CBSSports.com, taking a look at Jeff Collins's vision for Georgia Tech. And the, you know, we we discussed after his introductory press conference how he certainly was trying to bring uh, some new age vision to what a college football program should be. And when you've been operating under the tenure of Paul Johnson, there's probably some updating when it comes to you know the the general idea of how you want to promote yourself, how you want to utilize things like brand and marketing, and and how you want to present yourself not just to fans but also to to future recruits. What do you feel like you learned from uh, from getting a chance to to write that story? Uh, you know, other programs have kind of done this, um, but maybe not to this extent where. Jeff Collins is very self-aware of himself and that program. You know, Georgia Tech is is not a national player. They've kind of spun their wheels. Paul Johnson, you know, great job, overachieved, won an ACC title, won a division there. But he grew up there. He was born there in nearby Conyers, Georgia, and he thinks it can be so much more. He he coached under George O'Leary when he was there. He's invested in the community and in the school. And so when he does these kind of funny things like bringing Easter bunnies to uh, to a spring scrimmage to hand out uh, to hand out candy to the kids, but strategically bringing five Easter bunnies, one for the four national championships Georgia Tech claims and the one they're going to win under Jeff Collins, (laughs) then then that sends a message. Um, He's got an analytics guy who's a 31 year old former Temple offensive lineman who's been to the, the, the Sloan MIT Analytics Conference in, uh, at MIT to, to gather information. His old, his old position coach at Fordham, a guy that hired him as a GA, uh, Vince uh, Sigalar, is the chief of staff who, it's very obvious, 
is the gatekeeper. You walk in and you don't get to Jeff Collins unless you pass his office. And, you know, he kind of looked at me when I was there. Who are you? Well, here's who I am. Okay. All right. You know, you can go in. Um, it's just different. He does things a different way. He has, he has coaches during seven on seven drills. Uh, you know, you don't get, you don't get anything done defensively in seven on seven, basically. So he has assistant coaches hold up uh, signs of uh, Star Wars characters or rappers to imitate pass rushers to distract the quarterback a little bit. He's a big Star Wars guy. Um, he's had young Jeezy uh, jump into the huddle during spring practice. Uh, he has a lot of a lot of teams have music playing during practice. He hired his own DJ, DJ Teflon, out of Atlanta to spin spin disc during the practice. It never lets up. So can okay. they play? Yeah, they're they're probably going to be last in the in the uh, coastal this year, but I think they're going to be better. I, I think it's a good approach. It's got to be exhausting to like yeah. be thinking of all those ideas all the time and like trying to incorporate so many different things. I, mean, <laughs> I respect the hell out of it, but how is there enough like space in the brain to like continue to like think of not only bringing Easter bunnies, but bringing five Easter bunnies for, for that specific yeah. reason and like feeling like you need a DJ at practice. Like, uh, Props to him, um, and I think he's a pretty yeah. good football guy too. Like, uh, I, I, I do too. He's not yeah. just a gimmick guy. I think he's actually got some football chops. But it's remarkable that he like has that much, you know, just real estate in his brain to 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 come up with all this stuff. Yeah, he he is. You're right. I, mean, I was sitting there, and he said in his office, and he said, "What's your num- What was your number?" I said, "What are you talking about? My number? I didn't play." And he goes, "Well, what? I, I played hockey. I was number three. So he pulls out uh, this little card in the shape of a Georgia Tech football player and writes three on it. And he goes, I just got these in. These are my new business cards. And on the back of this little character, uh, Georgia Tech player, it's got all his contact information. And he calls that his closer. So when he has kids into his office, he'll say, what's your number? 72. Write 72 on the front of his business card and says, call me anytime. And that's how they leave the office. It's little things like that. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and, and God knows there's talent there. He, you know, he made being in Atlanta, you know, he made the connection. Of, well, we're midway between Clemson and Alabama. Maybe we can make enough noise to get some of those players, too. That remains to be seen. You can get players at, at Georgia Tech, just maybe not the ones that Alabama and Clemson are getting. But, you know, he uh, Martin, you made a good point. He made his chops at Mississippi State and Florida as a coordinator. I think uh, in four of the six years he was at those places, his defenses were in the top three in takeaways in the league. Um, and he, he did a lot of this stuff at Temple going 15 and 10 in two years, but nobody noticed because it was Temple. So a lot of our people you know, will notice now, and uh, I think it's fun. I, I think it's a good, good way to approach it. That is Dennis Dodd. You can follow him on Twitter at Dennis Dodd CBS. Dennis, thank you very much. All right, man. Thanks, guys.